0: Well, happy first day of spring, everybody. Welcome to Ohio, right? love it. Well, before we jump into our conversation today, I want to highlight something that Jordan mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, Easter is next weekend, and uh, in light of Easter, we planned three extra services, uh, really just to create some room for our community. And so uh, as you're looking through making plans for Easter, love to have you consider, if it works for your family, jumping into one of those additional services that, that we added on for that weekend. That will, like we said, create some room for our community to experience grace and uh, really be able to to come and, and uh, jump in for Easter. It's a great time, by the way, if you're thinking about inviting friends or family, maybe that haven't uh, had a church home or haven't experienced grace, love to have them be our guests for the weekend. So take advantage of that. It's coming up and uh, all the service times are here here in that insert in your program and uh, just key into that and love to have you uh, take advantage of the additional services. And uh, we're wrapping up a series we've been in uh, just for the last few weeks, pretty simple premise we jumped off of. We, we said this series is all about spiritual acts and why we do them. And uh, what we said is all of us at one time or another have sat in a religious event or a, a church service and, and actually had the question pop up into our mind, like why exactly are we doing this? like, What is happening right now? Why are they doing that weird spiritual thing, and what's the meaning behind it? And we said some of us would have grown up in church, and so church stuff feels normal. And so maybe those questions would surface a little bit later for us as we became more reflective about our faith. We'd start to maybe ask the questions, why do we sing songs to God? Like, what What is that about? Why would we get baptized? What's the actual meaning behind it? Why would we do things like practice communion? Like what, like what, why do we do these things? And why did Jesus tell us to do this? And we said, if you grew up in church, those questions would come later. If you are like me and you didn't grow up in church, and those questions hit you like a freight train as soon as you experienced church for the first time. That's certainly how it has been for me when I uh, first started attending Grace Church about 15 years ago. Uh, 16 years ago now, I, I was blown away by, by the questions. I thought, I have no idea what's happening. Can someone please explain it to me? And I would say if that's where you are and, and you're like newer in your faith or you've just made a decision to follow Jesus, uh, these series of conversations we've been having the last few weeks will be incredibly helpful for you. to be eye-opening. And uh, if, if you've known Jesus for a while and you're familiar with the spiritual acts that we're talking about That I think they'll probably bring some refreshment and some energy to some of these habits and acts that we would do on a pretty regular basis as a church. So over the last few weeks, we've talked about worship, we've talked about baptism, and if you missed either of those conversations, love to have you catch up online and kind of get caught up to the why behind why we would do those things. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna wrap this series, wrap this conversation up with, with really digging into communion, right? We're going to look at the idea of communion. And here at Grace, we we do practice an ancient form of communion, kind of how the the early church would do it. And so there's three different aspects. And even before we dive into this, I want to make sure you have these three aspects of communion in your mind. So we we surround communion kind of what we call the love feast. And it's going to be basically a meal where Christ followers get together and, and they talk about and think about, dream about heaven, right? So we have the love feast, we have foot washing, and we have the bread and the cup. And we're going to today walk through and kind of explain each one of those and kind of what happens in us as we experience each of these. But this is kind of how the early church would have done it. And uh, we've locked into that ancient form of communion. It's really a very, very powerful thing when you experience it. And I know for me, like when I first heard about communion, I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of, right? So I, I first started coming to church, took me a while even to feel comfortable attending a church service. And then they started talking about communion, you know, from the front. And I, I literally had never heard of communion. I had no idea what they were talking about. Like I looked at a buddy and said, what is communion? And they're like, oh man, communion's awesome. You know, it's coming out of the Bible where, where Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then we wash each other's feet, I was like, that is the freakiest thing I've ever heard of. I'm out of, there's no way I'm doing that, right? If you had a, a chart, a scale of the weirdest things that happen in church, like communion would peek that thing out in a second. Communion at first glance is just odd, right? It is an odd thing. But as you start to unpack the meaning of it, it is unbelievably powerful and meaningful, And it's one—it's my favorite thing we do all year, right? When I get to practice communion, I, I never feel closer to God than when I'm actually engaging in that spiritual act. It is powerful. And meaningful. And it's it's different. It's fun. It's it's a little bit different than some of the other ones, than some of the other spiritual acts that we've been talking about. Like last week we talked about baptism. Baptism's like a big party, it's a celebration. It's like a, a big celebration of your spiritual birthday, so to say, right? The the day that I said yes to Jesus, we'd be celebrating what happened in that day. Communion has a different tone to it. And actually the Bible would even encourage us to, to embrace a tone of sobriety. The Bible would say that we should examine ourselves as we participate in communion. And and when we come to communion this week, we have uh, services Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We'll talk more about what that means when we examine ourselves in communion. I would even say, even before we jump in, uh, this conversation we're going to have today really won't be complete until we experience this spiritual act, right? Until we actually do communion is when it really closes out. But communion is, it's a, it's a sober act. And, and the Bible would say that really it's only reserved for Christ followers. So here's how we do it at Grace. If you're a follower of Jesus, we would say absolutely, we would encourage you. And even the Bible would say you should embrace communion and practice it. If you're not yet a Christ follower, we, we would say absolutely come and just watch. You know? And if you're not comfortable with some of the elements yet, that's fine. Just watch it, kind of watch it play out. Even if you're a Christ follower, you're not comfortable with all the elements come and watch and observe. But there's a reason why God would say to embrace this uh, with some sobriety, right? With kind of a somber tone and and a seriousness. And the the reason why we would do that is because communion is all about the work of Jesus. If we had to encompass what communion's about, it's about the work that Jesus did that started on the cross, It's it's the work of Jesus' life. And you say, what does that all look like? Well, here God would have looked right, thousands of years ago and said, I created humanity. I love humanity. I wanna be with humanity. Humanity has been separated from me. Our relationship with God had been broken. God would say, but man, I'm passionate about my people that I've made and that I love. And so what I'm gonna do is he looks at Jesus, his son, and says, I want you to come to earth, put on skin, live a perfect life, Jesus says, I will do that. I'll be obedient to what you're asking me to do. Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, never breaks any laws or commands that God has given. And then at the end of his innocent and his perfect life, he basically submits himself to be murdered. That's really what happens is Jesus says, I'll, even though I'm innocent and even though I'm falsely accused, I'll allow myself to be Beaten and to be right, hit with rods and whips and, and to have a, a crown of thorns pushed down on my, my head, I'll be crucified. And that will pay for the sin of the world, right? That, that anybody would have faith in me ultimately, right, that their sin would be paid for. And we would look at that and say, yeah, that's the work of Jesus, that Jesus came, he died on a cross, he was buried, he raised from the dead. And that message is the message we would call the gospel. And even now, when, when we think of the message of the gospel and how it's typically presented over the last handful of decades, we would think, when I hear that message, most of the time it's often presented in the context of if you want to not go to hell, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to avoid hell, what you need to do is you need to accept Jesus, and there would be a future element to accepting Jesus and accepting the work that he did And what we're going to see is that there are a couple different elements and impacts to what Jesus did. And one of those is the future element, that there's a reality that Jesus, we could say it this way, Jesus will save us. Right? If I put my faith in Jesus, if I said, Jesus, I believe this is true for me, that you died for my sins, one day it's true that Jesus will come back and he will save us. Either if my life runs out here on earth or if this world wraps up and Jesus ends it, at the end of the day, I'm gonna end up in heaven if I put my faith in Christ. Now you're track with me. What we said, we said love feast, foot washing and bread and cup. The first aspect we're gonna talk about today is the love feast and that's gonna connect with this idea that Jesus will save us. It's a future element. And what we do in the love feast is we, are, we capture the reality that, man, we're gonna be in heaven one day. That's going to happen if I've put my faith in Jesus. And there's an event that plays out in heaven that the love feast is gonna capture. It's actually this big wedding reception that is, is the reality of what happens when one day Jesus wraps things up here on earth, right? He recreates Heaven, all things are made new, and Jesus is gonna have a marriage to his church, to his bride, the Bible would say. And that union happens, and when that union happens, there's a huge celebration, a huge party in heaven. And what we do in the love feast is we imagine that day, and we talk about the reality of that day and the reality of heaven, and and what that's going to be like, and all that is gonna be represented there. Let me go ahead and take you to this passage where this is laid out. It's in the book of Revelation. And I'll read it to you here, Revelation 19.6. If you wanna turn there, you can. It's a few verses. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one from underneath the chairs and you can even take that home with you if you want. It's page 871 in those Bibles. And here's what the Apostle John says. He kind of looks forward to this wedding reception. Here's gonna describe it. Revelation 19.6 says this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb, the Lamb is Jesus, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, the bride is the church, his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So what we do in the love feast, if you had a, a simple definition for the love feast, it's basically just this. It's Christ followers getting together, eating food, talking about heaven, right? And, I, and here's what I put down in, in my notes. I said, the love feast fires my imagination for a future with Jesus, that's what a love feast does. What we do is we sit down and we imagine what heaven's gonna be like. Uh, and, and we start to dream about the day and we talk about the reality that's coming when there's, there's no more pain. Right? In heaven, there's no more pain. There's no more death. There's no more sickness. There's no more uh, frustration of grinding through life and, and suffering loss and pain and disappointment. There's no more politics, right? Everybody's like, amen, right? We're ready to be done with that. There's a reality that all that goes away and all of the sin and the struggle and the frustration, all the broken relay, it's all gone. And I begin to imagine when I practice the love feast, I imagine that day coming. Man, isn't that gonna be awesome? When all of that is gone and not only is the pain of life gone, but now the reality of heaven is here. And what's it gonna be like when Jesus makes all things new? Do you know that Jesus said that? He said, behold, I'm, I'm making all things new. We get fired up about new stuff, don't we? I do. One of our cell phones just broke. I went down to the store and I got myself a cell phone. You know what? I'm so fired up about this thing. You know why? It's new, right? That, that's why. That's why I'm fired up about It's new. I told you guys a story about my plumbing problems a few weeks ago. I had this, uh, this simple plumbing issue, you know? And I actually left our conversation, went home, and that night uh, it backed up again. And so what we did is we, we dug up all this plumbing. I had to replace my whole sewer main. And I was so frustrated about it. And some plumber buddies of mine were putting it all in and we were all digging and when it was all wrapped up and done, you know what? I was so excited, never been so excited about my life, the fact that there was a pipe in the ground connected to my house, you know what that pipe was? It was new. And I was like, it will not break anymore. It is finished, right? This thing is new. And in heaven, everything will be new. right? There, there's no more wasting away. There's no more deterioration. The streets are made of gold. It's gonna be amazing. We're gonna look at people from all tribes and tongues and nations and generations and and we're gonna all be centered around Jesus and we're gonna celebrate and it is going to be awesome. We'll explore all that God has made and even remade and man, that's what we do in the love feast. It fires up my imagination for a future with Jesus. Right, because when's the last time we sat down with a group of other Christ followers and just talked about heaven? Like we're not going to talk about the calves. We're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to talk about our bosses or our employees. Or what, we're going to talk about what's coming. We're going to talk about the reality of what Jesus purchased for us. Right? There's this future that we're going to enjoy, and it's going to be amazing. That's what's going on in the love feast. That's one aspect of communion where I start to, kind of move my hope and my heart and my mind into the hope that is to come in heaven. Jesus will save us, that's a reality. It's not all that there is though, right? There's a reality that I'm living here on earth and I need to know and understand, recognize that Jesus, not only Jesus will save us, Jesus is saving us, right? Jesus is saving us. So Jesus today, if we could peel back heaven and look and see where Jesus is, the Bible would say that he's at the right hand of the Father and that he ever lives to intercede for us. He's praying for followers of himself even today. And what we're going to capture here is that Jesus is active in our lives even now and, and we really see this play out with the spiritual act of foot washing, right? This aspect of our communion service. Right? And let's just go ahead and admit that foot washing is weird, right? It's okay. No one wakes up. Zero people wake up and think, "You know what I want to do today? I want to wash someone's feet." Right? I remember thinking, "Who who exactly will be touching my feet? Like, who's going to do that? And whose feet do I have to touch? Right? What's this whole thing about?" It's actually a powerful picture. It's an amazing thing that that God would show us. Actually, Jesus lays this out the last night that he's on the planet, and here's what he does in John chapter 13. Go ahead and turn there. I'm gonna read kind of the story of where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That's where this whole thing comes from, is Jesus would lead the way with this and kind of show us what it's all about. It's page 751 in those Bibles under your chairs. John chapter 13. Let's kind of hear the story, and then we will talk it through. Here's what John said. It was just before the Passover festival. Uh, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master or a messenger greater than the one sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here's what's going on, right? Jesus is grabbing a hold of an ancient ritual, an ancient practice that would kind of be normal for the the day, right? So uh, people would bathe and then they would walk around basically in sandals or flip-flops in the streets of Israel. And so they would be clean physically, but as they walked through the streets, they would pick up dirt and dust and there was animals in that culture. So there would be, you know, animal manure, right? Within the, even the context of the streets and that stuff would get picked up on their feet, and your feet would be kind of disgusting throughout the day. So you could be clean, like Jesus is describing here, but your feet are dirty. And so what Jesus does is he, he grabs a hold of this picture. Usually, what would happen, what would have been the normal custom of the day, is for when you walked into a guest's home, right? You walked into a, a home and you were the guest, you had been either offered water so you could wash your own feet. Or the lowest member of that household, usually a servant, would kneel down and as an act of hospitality would wash the feet of the guests. So before they come in and track all that stuff in the house, their feet would be washed. Jesus grabs a hold of this thing and he actually is the one, he's the greatest person in the room and he takes this opportunity and he kneels down and he washes his disciples' feet. And here you can see Peter kind of freaking out about it. He's like, ah, this is not right. You shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. What's going on here, Jesus? And and Jesus wants to transfer a lesson through this. Oh, it's such a powerful picture. And he takes the the physical illustration of of getting clean. The the fact that I'm clean, I've taken a bath, but, but I need to maintain My feet, my feet are gonna get dirty. They're gonna get disgusting as I walk through life and I need to have them washed. Sometimes even multiple times a day. What he's gonna do is he's gonna transfer. This isn't really just about physical foot washing. There's a spiritual lesson behind it. And here's what Jesus wants to teach his disciples. He would say in essence, if you've put your faith in me, if you've trusted in me, you're clean. You've taken a bath. You're saved, we would use that language. But the reality is, even though you have a rightness with me, that you're good to go with me, you've said, yes, you've been saved, you've been clean. There's a reality that as you walk through this life that you're still going to mess it up, you're going to sin, and your feet are going to get dirty. And I need you to understand, Jesus would say, I still need to wash your feet. Even though you've put your faith in me, I, I need you to continue to confess your sin. I need to continue to, to apply my work in your life kind of day in and day out. And I need to wash your feet. And, and the disciples, this is why Jesus would say, what I'm doing you don't understand, but later you will, is they're gonna understand this picture later as they understand what Jesus is truly capturing here. And here's the thing I, I put in our notes. Guys, foot washing humbles me, right? Foot washing humbles me. When, when I actually go through the process of, and here's how we do it here at Grace, we get a little basin of water, right? And I'll you know, sit down with a family member or a friend or somebody from Grace or one of our leaders or whoever, and we'll sit down and I'll have someone wash my feet. I'll put my feet in this basin and, and they'll kind of work water over my feet and we'll dry it and then we flip places and I'll wash someone else's feet. When I go through that process, let me just, that is a very uncomfortable thing to do. Like no one likes that. That does not feel good. It, I'd say that the more uncomfortable for me is to have somebody else wash my feet, actually. It's harder to have somebody do that for me. And here's the thing about foot washing, it's uncomfortable on purpose. It's supposed to be that way. Why? It's humbling to me to go down on my knees and interact with with someone's feet. Some of us are like, yeah, that's gross. Like, who would do that? Somebody actually asked us one time, like, can I wear gloves when we do it? (laughs) Like, solid question. Good try. But like, No, right, it's not, that's the point, why? Because my savior, you know, he's on his hands and knees and his hands are in the filth of my sin and he's washing my feet day in and day out. And the reality of that truth never hits harder than than when I'm actually washing somebody's feet and I'm, I'm letting them wash mine. Boy, it's humbling. It's humbling to go through that act and it's appropriate, and it's good. Because I would say, if if you've never done that, and you're like, I'm not sure I'm ready to, just come and watch this week, don't watch. And what you'll see is you'll see families, right, kind of being moved by this experience, and friends being moved by this experience, because not only is it humbling, but it helps me to deal with some things in my life, helps me to remember, it reminds me of some, some things I need to make sure I'm paying attention to. Here's what I said, here in your notes, I said foot washing reminds me to keep short accounts with God and with people. Foot washing reminds me to keep short accounts with God and people. Here's the thing. As I'm walking through life, even if I have a faith in Christ, I'm gonna continue to sin. Or I'm gonna say things that I shouldn't say. I'm gonna do things that I know I shouldn't do. And I'm gonna have hard attitudes that I know I shouldn't have. And as those sins play out in my life, they can accumulate. That account can build up a little bit. And and rather than going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, will you forgive me for this? I'm sorry for this. I I wanna have our relationship have kind of a clean slate to it. I can let those accounts build up, so to say. Foot washing reminds me that, that I need to clear that stuff out. Right? I, I want my relationship with God to be clear. It's not so I can have salvation. It's so we can have harmony in our relationship. I did this tw- twice this week. You know, I, was in, I was in this conversation, and uh, we were in this meeting, and it was a, a heated, lively conversation, right? You could call it an argument, but I had, I had some passion about my side. I was pretty convinced I was right, right? And so I can get pretty amped up when I'm in the heat of something. And, and we're going back and forth and we're, right, it was all kind of in bounds above the belt. And then there was the line and then boop, there I went, right? Right over that thing, man. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I thought I probably just pushed it too far, you know? And, and then later that night I was going to sleep and I thought back and thought, God kind of brought this to my mind, and I thought, I know that person felt hurt by that. Like, I, I know that I did wrong. I, I know that I pushed that conversation too far. Jesus, would you forgive me for that? Right? I had this happen two times in the last week where I had to come and ask somebody for forgiveness because I, I said things that were just out of line. It's just too far. This is what's going on in foot washing, it is I need to, to recognize that Jesus is still forgiving me right, for my sins, for my addictions, for my lust, for my anger, that, that he's actively washing that disgusting filth off of me day in and day out. And I, I, I don't want to go back to it, but sometimes I do, and I need to have that stuff cleared out and then Jesus would look at us and say, just like you have been forgiven, I want you to forgive others. Right? I want you to wash other people's feet. When there's broken relationships and we sin against each other, Jesus would look and say, I, I want you to keep those accounts short between each other. That's when there's broken relationships. We need to heal those and forgive each other and be eager to do that. See, that? that's what foot washing is all about right living in that forgiveness and then going and forgiving as i have been forgiven and this is why this is sometimes an emotional thing but let's just be honest right sometimes there's tensions that we have in our relationships right in marriage or in friendship or with our kids or with our parents and sometimes we harbor bitterness And sometimes that stuff builds up and sometimes the account gets big and sometimes we don't talk to him anymore and sometimes foot washing makes me go through the process of saying I'll forgive as I've been forgiven. Jesus does this for me and I want to do this for the people in my life. Jesus is still saving me. I I want to continue to see this stuff play out in my heart and in my life. Jesus will save us. Jesus is saving us. And there's the powerful truth that Jesus has saved us. Jesus has saved us. And th- this is what the bread and the cup is all about. Right? When we look at the fact that Jesus came and he offered his body and he offered his blood and he did that to pay for and to rescue me, that's what's being captured here in the bread and the cup. Let me show you where this comes through in Scripture where Paul would teach the church on how to, how to interact with communion. 1 Corinthians eleven 23, I'll just read it to you. Paul says this, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body Listen said to this, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here's what we're doing. Right here. Here's the bread in the cup, right? We get a, a wafer, a, a cracker, and we, we get a, a little glass of wine or a glass of juice. And what we do is we recognize the reality of what we're symbolizing here. And it doesn't become the, the blood in the body of Jesus. It doesn't transform into something else. It's symbolic. But, but here's what happens. The, the bread in the cup when I take that and I walk through that spiritual act, it brings me back right, to, to the reality, the depth of God's love for me. Because here's the thing, Jesus would go to unbelievable lengths to save me. And God the Father, even above that, would look and say, I love people, I love you so much that, that I would go to the lengths to send my own son and I would have his body be beaten. Right, beaten with rods and pounded with fists and slapped in the face. His body would, would be affected by right, a crown of thorns ripping through the flesh of his skull. That his blood would be poured out from all, all parts of his body. And his, his body and his blood would be all over. He would be shredded by the sacrifice of the cross. Is, and that is the depth of God's love because that's what my sin cost. That's, that's what my sin cost. Right? My lust and my pride and my failure to keep the laws of God cost the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus right? see we weren't saved by a system if we put our faith in Jesus we weren't saved by a religion we were saved by a person right God the Father had to watch and his wrath had to be poured out on his son so that that son would suffer to pay for my sin because I have, I have four kids I have one son. I cannot fathom the love that I would have to have to take my nine year old son and say, I will give him to die for my enemies. That's what God did. He he gave his son, his boy, and he allowed his body to be annihilated and his blood to be poured out, why? Because of the passion and the depth of his love for us. That doesn't make any sense to me. I cannot imagine why anyone would have their child, their only son, die for their enemy. That's what happened. That's the depth of God's love. Because when we go through the the bread and the cup and we, we take that in, we're never closer to the reality of that sacrifice, that love for us. And just like I have to take in food and drink for it to move and to be activated in my life, I have to take in the sacrifice of Jesus. I have to put my faith and I have to receive that sacrifice for that to be effective in my life. That's what the bread and the cup's all about. Taking me back to the heart and the passion and the love of God given to me in Jesus. Jesus will save us. I can celebrate the hope of heaven. Jesus is saving us. I need him now to get in the the grime and the filth of my life. Jesus has saved us. My sin came at an incredible cost. It's paid for by body and by blood, by God who loves me. This this is the spiritual act of communion, coming back to the heart of God and the passion of our Savior. You guys, even as we wrap this series up, I want to make sure we have this captured. Because we don't just think about these things. God asked us to actually do them. I'm I'm not just a mind. I'm not just a brain. I'm not just a heart. I'm all of those things wrapped up together in a body, and we are experiential creatures. I put this in your notes. We don't just think spiritual thoughts. We do spiritual acts. And, And there's something important. When I actually show up and I do these things, Right? There's something important about being together with you and worshiping God together. There's something important we, we experienced, if you hear last week in baptism, when we all heard life-change stories and we watched people be immersed in water, and we, we all got teared up and we were affected by that, because why we were a part of doing a spiritual act. It wasn't just happening in my head or my mind. It's something that the church does together. Boy, the same thing is true in communion. That when we do communion, we experience this stuff, and and we need this as human beings. We need to go through and actually humble ourselves. We need to actually go through and, and have a symbol to help us remember. These acts are important. They're powerful and they're meaningful. As we do wrap up this year, I've got some questions for us here, kind of in light of all of the conversations and acts we've gone through. When I think back about the priority that these acts hold in my life, here, here's some questions that I wrote down. Does, does worship need to be elevated in my priority list? When I think about going to church, does that need to show up more than every other week or every third week or when it makes sense or when it's convenient? Does, does worship need to, to hold more weight in my heart and mind because it's a spiritual act and I know that when I draw near to Jesus, he draws near to me? Is baptism something that I need to consider? If, if I've never been baptized because of my faith, not talking about being baptized as a baby because someone else wanted to see that happen. I'm talking about because of my faith in Jesus and my transformed life, and right the inward change that happened in me. I want to make an outward profession of faith through baptism. Have I done that spiritual act? I think it's a question we got to wrestle with, and I think Jesus would call us to. And then we have an amazing opportunity, right, to talk about communion today and then we're going into Holy Week this week leading up to Good Friday, right, the day of Jesus' death and then Easter. What if this week we said, let's carve out some more time and, and some more space and we said, I, I wanna prepare my heart and mind and I wanna go back and I wanna, I wanna read the last few days of Jesus' life. I wanna go back and read about how Jesus was betrayed and, and how Jesus was beaten and how Jesus was crucified and even about Jesus' resurrection. And what, what if we said, let's carve out some room and go back into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can Google it, you can find these references easy and we'll, we'll say, Jesus, help me to focus, move some room in my life to focus on you. And what if we individually and as families did that over the next handful of days? And then what if we came together at communion and we finished this conversation? And, and we said, Jesus, would you meet us there? I wonder, would the wonder of God's love for me come alive in my heart and life, maybe in a new way? Would I see that the reality that Jesus is so passionate about me that he would give his life, he'd lay it all down? Could we be changed by that? Could we be affected? As we draw near to God, would God draw near to us? And I think that would be powerful for us to do as a church. And I think we can start even now. I'm you know, beginning to fixate our our attention on who Jesus is and on what he's done and the lengths he's gone to to pay for our sin. I want to have the band come out. I want to pray for us and during our, our time here in worship could we begin to do that? We begin to remember and reflect on what Jesus has saved us from. How he's worked and what he was willing to endure for our sake. Let me pray. We'll worship together. Father, we say thank you. Lord, because we, we don't know what else to say. You, Lord, your love doesn't make any sense. Lord, I can't even imagine the love that you have for me. Because, God, you know that I wouldn't give my son for my enemy. So Father, we say thank you again for the depth of your love for us. Lord, thank you that you're going to rescue us from this life one day. That one day we'll be with you in heaven. God, give us hope and endurance for this life because of it. Lord, you know the grime that exists in our lives you know when you see the words that come out of our mouth, you see what we do in the dark and in the secret. God, thank you that you are eager to forgive. You're eager to wash our feet and the filth from our lives. Lord, thank you that, that you would give Jesus the cost of my sin was unbelievable. Thank you. And Lord, we ask this week, would you prepare our hearts would you help us to focus on you, to remember your passion and your love and your willingness to go to the, the greatest depths to save us. Lord, would you meet us even here and now in this room? We want to draw near to you, Lord. Would you draw near to us? It's in your name we pray.